with a new episode of the Fresh Expressions podcast. I'm Heather Jalad, and I am here with my friend Gannon. Hey, Gannon. Hey, Heather. I am excited for this conversation today because uh, I know we probably have a lot of listeners that are familiar with uh, the five love languages. Um, I know that when I am counseling couples, premarital counseling, um, this is something that we talk about, understanding each other's love languages. It's something that my husband and I read before we got married, and um, we know each other's love languages. So I'm just curious, Gannon, what's your love language? What's your primary love language? <laughs> this is what we're supposed to be talking about. Um, I'm uh, my, my love language. I think I say it in my interview with Michael, but my my primary one is acts of service. Um, it blesses me when. Uh, People bring me a cup of coffee or anticipate a need that I have that I, you know, with, without me asking, that's like a huge uh, blessing to me. Um, but, you know, yeah, in, in the in the conversation with Michael, uh, you know, the, the Five Long Languages is a book that's, you know, gotten, you know, international acclaim. Yeah. And, and Michael's just wondering, you know, how that those typologies um also help us describe congregational realities you know are right. there do churches and church kind of the the relational systems within churches like display uh mm-hmm. one of those uh quote love languages over the other so so that's kind of something that michael's exploring and and we had a a really wonderful conversation on it um as we just learn uh, how to be a bit more um contextual and t- contextually intelligent, uh, shall we say, in uh, the life of the churches that we're a part of and lead. So you you all recognize that Gannon did not ask me what my love language was. <laughs> so I was just supposed to be mutual on that, Heather. So Heather, what is your love language? <laughs> well, I know this is going to come as a complete shock to you because I kind of feel like we speak the same language, but my love language is also acts of service. Oh, is it? Um, okay. Yes, it nice. is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, I, I appreciate I that's those. Rare, uh, uh, to find, <laughs> you know, to find, you know, Carrie's, my wife's is... Uh, like words of affirmation is that just is what my husband's part. is. Oh, so man. what do you know? Okay. Maybe right. those are just wow. matches made in heaven. Yeah. Um, if only so. if only we were uh, uh, serving churches where it would, there was such synergy. You know, sometimes there is, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes there isn't. But I know this will be a great uh, a great conversation and one that I think um, we can all benefit from considering. What is the love language of your congregation? Um, Let's have a listen. Want to welcome you back to the Fresh Expressions podcast. Uh, We're joined uh, today by our colleague, friend, brother, uh, Michael Beck. And, uh, you know, we're going to be talking with Michael. You know, Michael is no stranger to us, no stranger to the audience, um, uh, author of uh, many books, but but most importantly, a, a practitioner with his hands in the soil of of this work. Um, he's, a, he's a dad. He's a, a, a dog dad. He's uh, um, an amazing human. So, Michael, thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, grateful to be with you all today. Thanks for having me, Gannon. 
So we're looking, I, I, I've just been um, ruminating and, and we've been in a conversation for some time, Michael, about, you know, there's this sort of phenomenon in life, American Christian life, a little book came out, shoot, probably 40 years ago by this point, um, that got a lot of um, married couples and families talking about um the ways they like to be loved, the love languages. Uh, I think there's five of them. Um, yeah. And we talk about them in our family. And uh, I, I even heard, I heard somebody in a, on a plane the other day talking about this, these love languages and which one was theirs and what did they appreciate and that sort of thing. So like, can, can you kind of unpack in your own experience, what, what are, what are these love languages that we, we talk about so often? Yeah, um, it was really kind of a revolutionary work of uh, Dr. Gary Chapman, who came up uh, his uh, the first book that he wrote, uh, The Five Love Languages, became just, you know, international bestseller, really transformed a lot of relationships. And the key idea of that book is um, he was arguing that there's five love languages ways that human beings give and receive love. Um, and so he talked about those languages as being quality time and physical touch and uh, receiving gifts and acts of service um, and uh, personal touch. And <clears throat> I, I know that in my own marriage, I think, you know, you just hearing somebody in a plane talking about that is like, it's become so universal. We just communicate in that. And I know um, our friends, uh, Alan Hirsch and the Movement Leaders Collective, they use the language of, you know, love languages around, you know, mission and the missional church. Um, but they're just those universal ways that people give and receive love. I know in my own marriage with Jill and I, it's been super helpful to know each other's love languages. Um, and, um, like I'm a personal touch love language. So that's, you know, how my love tank gets filled, filled in Gary Chapman's, uh, phrasing and, um, you know, Joel's a quality time person. So I can just make significant moments, memories, spending time together, being present to each other, um, that that's filling her love tank. And that's been super helpful in our marriage and trying to, you know, parent this big blended family that we have and, stay in love with each other, even though we are together all the time. I don't know how Jill puts up with it, but I'm also her uh, co-pastor. So we work <laughs> together. We live together. We sleep together. I mean, everything. He's like, get this guy out of my house. That's why y'all see me on the road so much. But. <laughs> no, I mean, but it is. It, it's instructive when we can identify that. I mean, I'm, I'm um, acts of service is mine. And I, in an early marriage, I remember, um, I'd, I'd bring my wife a cup. My dad brought my mom a cup of coffee every day. I started bringing my wife first married a cup of coffee every day. The cup, the coffee would just sit there. Sit there. Mm. It was, I was like, what, what, what is wrong? I'm trying to be, you know, the husband of the year, but I, 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 I was not being uh, contextually intelligent. I didn't, I didn't learn uh, what my wife's real uh, love language was. I, I, uh, words of affirmation. That's that's what she needs. I need a cup of coffee, um, but <laughs> she needs words of affirmation. And it's w wonderful when that kind of that switch got flipped uh, in yeah. our life. And so I'm, I'm just I'm 
I'm wondering, okay, so these love languages can shape our family lives. And I'm a big advocate. I think every family is a little church. And if the little families are healthy, then the whole church is healthy. But I think there's certain families that just gravitate. I'd say my family of origin had a lot of, there's just acts of service embedded into it. I think maybe in Carrie's, it's, it may be the encouraging words. Um, but as we see uh, congregations as really family systems, um, how do you think, I mean, can you make observations related to the ways that we notice how we love and give and receive love in families and then how that kind of relates to larger congregational systems? Absolutely. And you kind of wrote a book about, um, you know, uh, the, the family being its own little church, right? I did. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So what, what I'm, I'm working on a book right now um, that's really trying to build upon Chaps, Chapman's work and ideas. And uh, I've just noticed in, um, you know, our family obviously has love languages and, and how that gets taken up in a communal way in a congregation. Um, so, you know, as Chapman identifies those, those love languages are kind of universal across all cultures, tribes, people. Um, and I started to ask the question, well, what does the embodiment of that look like in a community? Like can a congregation have a primary love language? Um, and in my experience, so I've been sent to churches, rural, usually uh, smaller um, 12 people, 20 people kind of, you know, um, really just kind of hanging on for dear life. And, and, um, uh, Jill and I kind of consider ourselves to be like triage unit pastors. Mm. If you put us in a big, healthy, beautiful congregation, uh, we probably would mess it up somehow. <laughs> but if you put us like emergency room congregation, like, how are we going to survive the next year? Mm -hmm. That's our jam. That's where we like to be. And so we just started to notice, like, for example, um, I think the five love languages are embodied in congregations. Um, and so words of affirmation, I refer to those as proclamation centered congregations. Mm. Um, acts of service is embodied congregationally as an outreach centered congregation. Um the quality time is embodied in a congregation as a fellowship centered congregation and um, giving gifts, receiving gifts uh, is a generosity centered congregation. And then personal touch is embodying as a, as a healing centered congregation. And so when I went to uh, my first appointment and I was like, so uh, just really putting a lot of time into sermons because I was like, this is what pastors do, you know, preach. And and that was like my passion. I love to study scripture. You know, I encountered Jesus through scripture and it saved my life. And so I've dedicated my life to kind of studying scripture and preaching and teaching about it. Um, so I'm like, you know, just really putting in a lot of work. And I just remember the people like looking at their watches, like, come on, pastor, I'll wrap it, wind it down here. We got it. Because what really was church for them, because they were a fellowship center congregation, they wanted quality time. And, you know, they would put up with the preaching or whatever, but really where the real magic happened of that church was in the fellowship hall after as we sat around, fried literally everything food, <laughs> and ate and fellowshiped and spent time together and heard each other's stories, that was um, really their love language. And so I had to adapt and learn that, right, and love them in a way that they experience it as love, just like you would in a relationship. 
So maybe if I'm an outreach centered pastor and I'm sent to like a proclamation centered, you know, congregation, I have to adapt and love and nurture them. And what I call the three L's listening, learning, loving. And I didn't come up with that, by the way, that's Mm -hmm. been deeply mentored mentors across my life have, have um, used that language of the three L's. But when you listen and you learn and you love what you're actually doing is leading. And it's not until you do that work of listening and learning and loving and finding out what makes this congregation tick? What is their love language and how do I give them love in a way that they receive it as love? And then upon that foundation of love, we can we can lead into those other areas. So congregations can get really kind of one dimensional. Like, for instance, a fellowship center congregation, uh, they value biblically what we would call koinonia, right? That deep. Uh, interpenetratable kind of relationship. Um, But that can go wrong if it becomes like an uh, exclusive thing, like fellowship just for us, just quality time for us. And it excludes other people. And um, when a new person tries to come into that system, it like disrupts it. And so they, they become kind of internally focused and not really, uh, you know, looking for who's not there. Right. And so I can love them in that love language, but then I have to lead them out to the edge. Right. And, and help them grow in those other areas. Like how do we build community around the teaching and the preaching of God's word? How do we build community around, you know, acts of service and outreach to our community? How do we be a, a high touch healing centered congregation um, where we, um, you know, lay hands, anoint with oil, um, go through the high touch, you know, liturgy can, can, can be that in a sense and, and how we do that and how do we give generously um, to kind of fuel uh, God's kingdom work in the world. So after, you know, failing forward and learning, um, oh, maybe these people, maybe I need to adapt what I do and how I uh, approach being a pastor um, to really loving them and nurturing them. And then maybe together, you know, we can go on a, on a journey into some of those other edge, edge land areas. That's good. So we've got uh, words of affirmation, the, the kind of proclamation-centered church, acts of service, the outreach-centered church, physical touch, the, the healing church. And I like what you said, healing can, can even, you know, be uh, about our kind of our worship renewal, our liturgical renewal, um, quality time, the fellowship churches, the fried everything church. (laughs) And then the, the gifts are the generous church. Yeah. You you know about those fried everything churches, right? (laughs) Yeah. We, yeah, we, I I know about the ones that have fried preacher too. Um, which, which happens apparently they tell me, um, but how does, how does this, I mean, can I, let's, let's unpack a little bit more how the identification of these gifts. So once you know what that is, then how do you then propel the church into, you know, maybe becoming a healing church or a, a more outreach focused church, that sort of thing. How do you make the outreach church uh, churches focus more on maybe being a healing church. I, you know, I think a lot of churches are so driven by service that their internal core is, is, you know, almost non-existent. Uh, Absolutely. And so I kind of, in this book, go through um, Revelation, um, the first couple chapters there, and look at the seven churches in Asia Minor. 
and um, look at Jesus' evaluative framework of those churches. So he's like, you know, he celebrates each one, uh, except for two. They get kind of a really negative, <laughs> negative report there. But um, he celebrates something about each congregation. Uh, he connects it to, you know, his own identity and um, uh, talks about the fruit. And then um, he'll he'll have some prophetic warnings, but I have this against you or you're, you've got all this right, you know, um, but you forgot your first love, for instance, or uh, you've, you've let those wicked Nicolaitans into the camp and they're, you know, seeding this bad theology or whatever. Um, and so he, he says, uh, and if you repent and turn, you know, I'll heal that. Uh, there's some debate about whether the seven angels of those churches are seven like Angelos messengers, supernatural beings, or whether those are the pastors of those churches. Um, and so... Uh, I use that kind of a framework to look at like every congregation. So there's good things about being a fellowship centered congregation, right? That koinonia is a biblical value. There's good things about being a proclamation centered congregation. Now, those are the churches, they just rally around the word and they come, right? So we looked at the dark side of a fellowship centered congregation. Proclamation centered congregation can be real consumerist driven. Like we're just coming to hear the preacher. It becomes centered around the personality sometimes. Uh, and all of that. And it's very shallow in other ways uh, if people aren't really doing the community formation and the acts of service thing. Uh, outreach congregations like you named, like we can be, that that can get really unhealthy. And I, I list one of the seven churches in Asia Minor as that, where people just get fatigued and it's all about Matthew 25. It's all about, you know, uh, clothing the naked, uh, welcoming the stranger, giving drink to the thirsty, feeding the hungry, visiting the inmates, the sick. Uh, and, and people get fatigued in that space if it's not balanced with like proclamation and fellowship and koinonia. Generosity centered congregations can be incredible. They can literally fund the kingdom of God because the, the church really uh, is in a place of resources where they can support ministries and create, you know, uh, unleash a movement of fresh expressions, for example. But that also can get to a place where it's like, I just show up, I pay my tithe, I write my check, you know, leave me alone on the other areas, right? And those congregations can get into an unhealthy space. Healing-centered congregations take all these really cool cultural manifestations. And so I've been a pastor of a church at Wildwood where we had a black Pentecostal church and a Latinx um, uh, solely speaking Spanish church with a, with a white uh, congregation that was planted as a white congregation. Now we all live together. And so at God's glory, Pastor Taylor, like it's high touch for real. It's a uh, <laughs> laying on hands, yeah. slaying the spirit, blankets, anointing with oil, hours of just like hugging and embracing and like, hey, slap your neighbor a high five and tell them, you know, during the sermon. It's like, but I've seen that also um, from an Anglo perspective where it's like we come in, we pass the peace for 20 minutes, you know, we're hugging mm -hmm. everybody, we're shaking hands. The preachers greeting everybody at the door. We have all these little like touch rituals that we go through. Um, but the ultimate kind of focus of those congregations, I think, is being a place of healing and such. But that can go wrong in really, really bad ways, right? And the very beautiful thing that God gives us, the gift of touch, can be one of the things that becomes the most harmful thing in the world when it's used in the wrong way. So understanding that, knowing that, loving people in those spaces. And then I have this kind of um, idea, philosophy, care for the center, 
experiment on the edge. So love them in their love language. Listen, learn, love, care for them. Hear their stories. Understand what makes them tick and how you fill their congregational love tank. And then move out to the edge. Experiment. Missional communities. Um, for So, for instance, if you're in a fellowship center congregation, it could be really important to start some outreach um, to the community where we're serving our community and we're forming relationships with people outside ourselves. Um, in a proclamation-centered congregation, where we're like, coming in, hey, every, you know, we're all going to listen to the word and then we're going to go home. Um, it could be really important to create moments of fellowship or touch or, um, you know, p- ways that people can be more intimate rather than just coming and gathering to hear the word. Um, so I think a, f- a, 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 f- a really healthy congregation would be hitting on all cylinders. You would see all five congregational love languages. In my experience of a pastor, and maybe you have, Gannon, but I've never seen a congregation that fully embodies all five. Um, and it's probably something that we would we would grow into probably as a lifelong journey. Well, I like what you you know what you said in terms of the rubric related to listening, learning, and loving people. So, I mean, really listening. Uh, so important learning. I also unlearning. Uh, so there's a lot of congregational unlearning that that we mm-hmm. all must do, and all you know, lots of spiritual unlearning, um, so that we can really be released to love. So I, I almost wonder, you know, if, if we're you know, kind of to think about this as persons, individual persons, and then as as communities of of people, um, you know, how do you think if, if we apply this interpersonally? Um, how does that then help the congregation go, oh, okay, that's what it means to go be that. Because say, if you're serving another person in your congregation, they really like whatever, acts of service, or they really like the proclamation stuff. I think learning that about another person in the church then might prepare and equip the whole church to move out in those various ways, you know, because we're getting to know each other a little bit more. So, um, Help us think about how, you know, we become better leaders by knowing these things and then how our churches become better at it. Yeah, because um, so, for example, obviously, we as better leaders stay in a posture of humility and learning. And I think one of the big mistakes that I see I've made in my past and many leaders make is we go into a congregation And we think, you know, here's the gifts that I bring. Here's what I do. Here's my passion. And we bring that and we do that. And the congregation doesn't respond. So they're like, you know, get this guy out of here. (laughs) An itinerant system, that can literally be like one year, you know. So we we have a short time to really love and learn and and nurture the congregation. So it moves us out of the space to like, what am I good at? You know, what gifts do I bring? And we don't want to diminish that at all. Like we got to bring our gifts and this actually gives us a way to do that. But it's becomes a posture of like learning really first this congregation and how they are motivated and what fills their love tank. So congregationally speaking, that one dimensional um, idea of like, this is our love language, you know, this is who we are. Uh, and I talked about how that can have these different dark sides. But it's actually as we we explore these other ways of being church and the other ways that God's love manifests, we actually get to know each other at a deeper level. We find more dimensions to our Christian life than just the thing that's maybe really exciting for us, like fellowship. 
Um, I'm serving a congregation right now. They are, it's my home congregation. So I'm back as the pastor of the (laughs) congregation that baptized me. Amen. Right. Uh So um, they rallied around me, my infant baptism, raised me in a community of love and forgiveness. And now I'm back as their preacher. And Miss Shirley, who is playing the organ <laughs> in my infant baptism, is there playing the organ for a pastor. Uh, so it's this beautiful full circle. Thank you, Jesus moment yeah. in my life. But they're 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 fatigued. I love these people, but they've been an outreach congregation for so long um, that that um, some of the other areas of our congregational life have been neglected. So they show up at the dinner church. They cook the meal. We, we house a shelter for men experiencing mm-hmm. homelessness. We have a halfway house. We do all these things. We exist for our community. That's literally our vision statement is to be a healing center for our community. But then there's the interpersonal relationships, you know, are, are kind of strained and um, an excitement about, you know, preaching and a passion for teaching the word and those things. So it's, it's kind of leading and creating opportunities um, to, to explore those different kind of expressions um, and creating new Christian communities together is, is one big way to do that. And so now the congregation is becoming like um, more, I wouldn't say, you know, we're hitting on all cylinders, but we're growing in these different areas little by little and becoming more a more robust and fully formed kind of, you know, Christian community. So how how is this? Okay, so we're, we're seeing how this can work out in the big uh congregation, how it might even be working out in our own relationships. I mean, you know, compare this to, uh, you know, any, any family, any relationship, uh, you know, how does this give us patience uh, for the long haul, patience with one another, even patience with the communities that we serve? Yeah, yeah. So um, I I frame it like this. Um, It's an arranged marriage. And my, my first sermon at any congregation that I've done a revitalization at is the arranged marriage. And I say, hey, I'll know you. You'll know me. But here we are at the altar. You know, we're entering into a sacred relationship and we're going to we're going to learn to learn each other and learn to listen and love each other. Um, and I say right up front in that first sermon. And at some point, the honeymoon will be over. Yep. I will not meet your expectations. In the recovery community, we say expectations are their starter kit for resentments. Um, I'm going to not do something. I'm a, You're going to be disappointed with me. And it's at that point when the honeymoon is over. And I love these people who say, we've been married for 70 years. We're still in our honeymoon phase. And I say, thanks be to God. Hallelujah. That's not been my experience. I think my wife was over me like a weekend. <laughs> hmm. And she was like, um, can you please put the cap back on the toothpaste? Can you <laughs> put your sweaty gym clothes on? The, and then all those things started to happen, right? Yep. And the things that we fall in love with about somebody become like irritating or whatever. So it's after that point when the honeymoon's over that we have to really make a choice to love each other. Yeah. Um, and so I say, I'm committed to that. This is going to be a long journey. We're going to have, you know, the honeymoon's going to be over. Um and so kind of working out when uh, that, that um, you know, tension happens, when those relationships kind of fragment, when we don't meet each other's expectations, how do we love each other through that? And that to me is what a marriage is really about. It's when you hit that point and you learn to love each other 
in the canonic way of Jesus mm-hmm. and like give your life fully to another person. Yeah. And it's true of that relationship with pastors and congregations, or it should be that when we hit that wall and that tension and it's like, man, I'm over these people. <laughs> I mean, I've thought that uh, yeah. you don't have to say amen, but, um, but that's when the commitment to like, but I'm going to love them because God has called us into this sacred union in this relationship to be a reflection of his koinonia and his spirit in the world. And there's something deeper here. And we just got to kind of press through that. Um, and so this whole thing, it gives us a helpful kind of framework to say, not to come in and say, hey, y'all are really internally focused and not healthy at all. <laughs> I can say, hey, um, it seems like we're a fellowship center congregation. So that's our love language. That's something. Let's own it. It's beautiful. It's good. It's true. But it's not enough to fully embody Christ in this context, in this space. So let's explore these other areas of what it means to be the church. So it gives us a language without having to have conflict and uh, or or uh, like leading with the chin, you know, um, and and. Uh, setting up a, 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 a false dichotomy. We can say, these are really good things. They're life affirming. Now let's explore these other things. And it's so, I mean, these kind of concepts are so universally known and applied. It, it's almost easier than love all of the tools we use. Love the APES, love uh, yes. you know, strengths, finder, all these things. But, but these are, these are helpful handles that most people can understand uh, quickly, and they they help us not you know to stay in it uh, together. I, I think uh, it was Ronald Rollheiser says something like, "If you can't get out of something, just get more deeply into it." And so it just it drives us more deeper, in, more deeper. Sorry, deeper into love, and more deeply into love, I should say. And uh, that sort of staying together and and engendering commitment to one another. A giving and receiving together, then says, "All right, well, let's go keep trying new things." I mean, you're you're the um, person who's just been saying for years now, along with our a whole Fresh Expressions team, that I mean, you know, just the, the day and age in which we live is sort of like a, you know, put your finger in the wind or spit in the wind or whatever you want to say, and you don't know uh, what's going to happen in you know, tomorrow, let alone in five months. So what in the world do we need, you know, 10 year strategic plans for? I mean, you got a plan. I understand that, but, but it just helps us kind of adapt because we've been doing that in our families, our household lives for a long time. And now we get to do that in these larger communities of care. And and it's the way we, we bump up against each other, learn from one another and uh, follow Jesus together. So uh, Michael, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, can I, can uh, I yeah. jump in? Oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. I just, you just set me up for it. The the, <laughs> um, the long term plans and all those things, and um, I I realize, and this is not to diminish um, any of the congregations I've served previously, and there's been wonderful folks in all those, and beautiful things have happened, and the Lord was at work. Um, but some of them have been really challenging and hard, and there were some toxic things that had to be kind of dealt with, and all of that. Um, and I'm in a congregation now where it's pretty much like, Pastor, what do we need to do? <laughs> you know, let, let's let go. Let's start. Okay, we need to do a dinner church. But I remember my, you know, these tired 60, 70, 80 year olds in this are meeting and they're like, okay, dinner church, what's that? Fleshing that out. Okay, so we got to show up and cook and community dinner. And they're like, I don't think 
One of them just named it, right? I love him. My chair of trustees, he's like, George, he's like, we're just tired, Pastor. I don't, I don't know we can commit to do that like forever or even mm-hmm. a year. Yep. So I said, George, can you give us three months and like, let's organize in teams two by two, two by three, or we'll prepare the meal each week. We'll get the community invited in. Give me three months. Don't think 10 years down the road. Don't think long range plan. Let's just start. We'll invite the community, participate. We'll see where it goes. We'll let the Holy Spirit. And immediately, so we start this dinner church, primarily for people in the recovery community. Um, Folks start coming. They step up. They're sharing the Jesus story. People are going to cook the meal next week and clean up after. And so the community gets involved and just took the the relief and the pressure off my my faithful saints. And I had um, one of them come to me and say, Pastor, what's the plan here? Like, yep. seems kind of crazy and chaotic and it's all over the place. And that's partly me and I, I have work to do in that area. But uh, I said, here's the plan. We're going to daily, weekly, monthly, communally together, discern the activity of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to join into it. And she said, so what's the plan? <laughs> And I said, that's it, right? We're not going to push and try to force things to happen. We're not going to buy our own energy and strength, try to make things happen. We're just going to really, that posture of listening you were talking about, discern what the Holy Spirit's doing in lives and situations in our community. We're just going to join into that. And it's been like this weight lifted off of us. Just Mm -hmm. like, oh, all we got to do is join what God is doing and grow in our, you know, our love languages together. and um really follow God's lead rather than all the anxiety of we got to do this. We got to make this happen. We got to help our church not die. Mm-hmm. That's just a horrible place right. to be right. Mentally and spiritually and every other way. Mm-hmm. Now we're not going to try to make our church not die. We're just going to join the risen Lord and what he's doing mm-hmm. and see where that can go. So. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Michael. Let's Thank join you so God and what God is doing in the world and, and um, lean into it and, love. So this is the Fresh Expressions podcast. Thanks for listening. Fresh Expressions is a worldwide movement of everyday missionaries who want to see churches thrive in the places we eat, play, work, and yes, even in our traditional churches. To learn a simple five-phase process for starting a new expression of church, go to freshexpressionsus.org backslash how to start. The Fresh Expressions podcast is hosted by Gannon Sims and me, Heather Jalad. It's edited by Joel Limbaum and produced by Kathleen Blackie and Chris Morton. Our national director is Dr. Christopher Backert. If you've learned something or been encouraged by this podcast, please help us spread the word. You can give us a review on Apple Music or Spotify and share this episode on social media. Now, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that God's ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations.